This podcast is sponsored by Police Bank. Since 1964, Police Bank has stood for the financial well-being of police, their families, friends and communities. As it's member-owned, it's able to offer more competitive rates for banking with them. Whatever is next on your horizon, Police Bank can help you get there sooner. Welcome to Inside the New South Wales Police Force. Real cops, real stories. I'm your host, Adam Shan. There's a long history of police on motorcycles in New South Wales, going right back to 1913, when a Douglas motorcycle commenced special traffic duties. It was more like a motorised bicycle with a four-horsepower side-valve engine with a two-speed gearbox. Motorcycles quickly became a feature of law enforcement as Australians took to the roads in numbers in the 20th century. But it wasn't until 1983 that New South Wales Police allowed a female officer to join the ranks of motorcycle cops. This mirrors the struggle for women to gain equal rights in the police force generally. In 1915, Lillian Armfield and Maud Rhodes were appointed as special constables and became the first women in the New South Wales Police Force. They weren't allowed to wear uniforms or to carry firearms. It was 1948 before women were allowed to wear a uniform. 1965 before they were sworn in as constables like male officers. And 1979 before they were routinely allowed to carry firearms. Today we pay tribute to the trailblazers for female participation in policing. In 1983, Val Sugden became the first female motorcycle cop in New South Wales. And it's quite a story. Val, who's retired now, joins me to talk about it. G'day, Val. Oh, good morning. How are you? How would you fancy one of those Douglas motorcycles? Four horsepower. Oh, geez, I... Very, very small machine. Oh, I tell you what, it would have been pretty uh, pretty cold, I think, in those days. I heard stories that the old cyclists, um, even before me, they used to put newspapers down the front of their, their jackets to keep warm, you know. So I'm, I'm pleased at least we had um, fairings on our bikes uh, and didn't have to use the old newspaper trick. So. I was amazed uh, to hear your struggle to get onto a motorcycle in New South Wales. How did that take place? Uh, okay, so when I joined the um, New South Wales Police, it was in a transition phase where a lot of changes were were happening for, for women and their roles. So one of those struggles were changing to police motorcycles. So I did apply for the Highway Patrol after doing my probation and joined as car crew at North Sydney High Patrol, which I was trained in. And then when I decided to move to the path of um, becoming a motorcycle police officer, I was basically told I I couldn't do it because I was a woman. Uh, And that sort of raised a a red flag, not not only that, I think it was just the reason I couldn't do it, you know. I mean, if they said a thousand other reasons, you know, because you're here as car crew or, or you've been transferred elsewhere, I probably would have accepted it. But it just seemed quite archaic. And I came from a, a family where um, we're very competitive sports-wise and volunteers and uh, went to a girls' school and, and I just couldn't understand just being a female that we, we couldn't do something. So I applied. And um, after quite a bit of to and froing with management, uh, I was allowed to do the course. But... I just have to be clear here, the troops that I worked with were really, really supportive. It was the, the management or the bosses that put a few barriers in, in front of me. So so in 1983, I was accepted to do the, the police uh, solo cycle course, which was up at St Ives, 
it was a, a, a three-week course all up. The first week involved a trail bike component and it absolutely poured. Um, I was actually told afterwards it was that wet, normally they would have cancelled the course. So here I am on a, a single-cylinder Honda 500 riding around the back of St Ives in not only just in mud, but it was so muddy, the bike actually went completely underwater at one stage. <laughs> so, and then from there, we moved to the, the road bikes, which we rode Kawasaki 650s. And um, again, uh, the rain was quite heavy, but the course continued on. But we also had sunny days and um, I managed to pass that component of it. And there were also some challenges in there that were a little bit different because I was the first female on the course. And one of those was actually picking up a police motorcycle. So in the normal course of riding, obviously you need to be strong enough to pick up a, a police cycle if it, if it falls over. Anyway, this time they did it. They actually put bricks in the panniers, a nice full fuel tank, and they actually tipped it over. So it was right up and the wheels were sort of sticking up in the air. Anyway, luckily, um, prior to this, I was sort of forewarned this could happen. I actually trained in picking the bike up and practice it with, again, support from my work colleagues back at the Highway Patrol base. So when it came to that challenge of picking the bike up, yeah, did it, um, I won't say no problems, a, a couple of heaves up onto the thigh, then up onto the, the wheels it went. Because strength was often used as an excuse why women couldn't get on the motorbikes in, in the police force. But you had a history as a competitive water polo player. So you were plenty strong enough. It was just more a cultural thing you were facing. Yeah, it's hard to sort of put it in, in like the word cultural back then because that's a sort of, a, I feel, a new terminology. It was just how it was back then. So I just don't think they understood. When I say they, I'm talking about bosses now. I'm not talking about that the troops understood what females could do because it was just we hadn't done it before. So... Um, to go through that, but also it was even as basic as uniform. Like um, one of the uh, reasons they said I couldn't do the course initially was I didn't have the right boots because, you know, policemen wore shoes. So I had to borrow boots from a, a parking patrol officer. Well, actually, he gave them to me. We only had um, overalls. We didn't have proper female clothes, wouldn't, you know, translate across to the male uniform. So luckily my mum was a dressmaker, so she ordered the uniform. So it fitted. So there was all these things, you know, when you look back, it wasn't a cultural thing. It was actually a practical thing too. They just, they just weren't set up yet for women. But again, there was a, so many supportive people that the, the training staff at the uh, St. Ives Driver Training School, that, they were fantastic. You know, I'd say they were um, being overlooked by the, the bosses as well as, as to the course and um, us. Yeah, by this time, you've done a lot of training by this time. You've been hanging out with the inner city motorcycle squad so you'd already learned how to ride the motorbike. That wasn't a problem. What's, what sort of bike did you start off on and how helpful were those guys in the inner city? Okay, so, yeah, when I first joined the police, I was tra uh, transferred to Central Police Station and that was where I was um, first came across the inner city motorcycle police guys and th they were fantastic. So it would um, obviously I, I had my role as a general duties and they would do their job, but there was a bit of a crossover where one of the, the guys there was dating, you know, one of the policewomen at Central. So um, I said, I'd love to learn to, to ride a motorbike. So he, he went out and, and arranged a little RD250 uh, motorbike for me to start riding. So he, he basically taught me how to ride. Um, a few of the other inner city guys would take me on rides just around Wiseman's Ferry. 
and that's how I sort of started learning to ride. And then when I got transferred to the, the highway patrol, I started learning on larger bikes. Um, again, just through friends, that was a Yamaha 600 I took out to learn on. But my first police bike after training, what would happen is all new cyclists, this wasn't just a, a thing because I was a female, they'll give you the old bikes. So I started on an old 750 CB Honda 750. That was my first police motorcycle after passing the course, which I was really, really happy to have. Fantastic. And those early days, what were your early duties? I think there was one moment when you really thought, wow, what a great job. What an achievement I've made here. Oh, uh, there was when I first got rostered on um, with the police bike, they would roster me on the, um, the lane changes on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Back in those days, the lanes at the northern end of the bridge were manually changed by a main roads crew, according to the demands placed upon them at peak times. More lanes would be open to southbound traffic during the morning peak, while in the evening peak, more lanes would be open to northbound traffic. Rubber flaps were placed on the road to alert motorists to the change traffic conditions. It was Val's job to ensure this all happened smoothly. It seems quite a um, mundane job, and it was um, done manually back in the day. So that way we're talking about early 80s where they actually did a flap. So you drive behind and escort the uh, workers because they were actually um, exposing themselves to the traffic. So the police cycles would escort the the, um, the lane change staff, which was employed by the DMR then. So he- here I am. That was my first duties for quite a while, was doing the lane change on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And um, I-, I think that the roster sergeant thought it was a penalty, but I-, I thought it was one of the best jobs in the world, watching the sunrise and sunset, you know, in the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And and, and it was just such an iconic um, place to work. And, and the staff it were just amazing, you know. And that was it was great because uh, the police and the, um, the the DMR and RTA just had a great liaison. So it was one of those jobs where you just thought, you know, I can't believe here I am. You know, I've been fully trained as a police cyclist. I've got a, this beautiful bike to ride and I'm getting paid to, to watch the sunrise over Sydney Harbour Bridge. And you stayed most of your career on the bike. Tell us about the progression of those duties. Yeah, okay, so I did spend about 25 years on, on the police cycles over my, my just on 30-year service, um, so I was, I was quite proud that I was operational for, for most of that time. I did have um, two children during that time, so I did have a, a, a short time off um, with the babies um, but went back to work um, straight away. So um, I started off at North Sydney Highway Patrol um, as car crew, as I mentioned, then trained on the police cycles shortly after that. And I maintained, um, I stayed at the Highway Patrol and was trained up as a Highway Patrol trainer. So I was then progressed to me actually training other Highway Patrol police that included car crew and and police cyclists. And part of those duties also included what was called extended patrols. So we would go and help out local country areas if they had, say, an example could be Batemans Bay, you'd have the holidays from Canberra. So all the holiday makers would go to Batemans Bay. So they would call in extra police to um, help with the extra um, holiday makers. So I might work, you know, a, a week or two in Batemans Bay uh, on the bike with with the other staff. Or um, again, Cooma, the same thing. We could work down there during the holiday seasons. Um, so that was part of the roles as well. 
also was wide load escorts was another uh, duty we performed. So I could be working anywhere from the borders of Queensland back to um, Sydney doing wide load escorts, which was, again, a lot of, um, I won't say the word fun, it's a lot of challenges, you know, because you've got to obviously plan your routes and, and to make sure that the trucks, because they're very, very big trucks, um, can get their loads through safely. Even though you love motorcycles, you took a short break. What did you do in that time? The short time I wasn't operational, I did work at what was called the telephone interception unit doing surveillance. So I went um, from one role which was on the road, you know, dealing with members of the public to a role that was inside, which was a, a bit of a shock to the system, but it was very intriguing. And, and, and working there, I learned so much intel in regards to how, I suppose, the criminal activity worked behind the scenes. And it actually made me, when I left the telephone interception unit and went back to operational, it actually taught me a lot on what extra to look for when I was dealing with people in cars, you know, it actually was an eye-opener, what actually happens behind the scenes, yep. Made you more suspicious of people. Well, 100% actually, it, it did. You know, you're looking for either drugs or where they where they actually hide the drugs, that was a good thing, or where they, they hid drugs in, in vehicles and any bikes. Uh, so yeah, it was a definitely um, a, a, a different, different world it opened my eyes up to. We'll continue in a moment, but first, a message from our sponsors. There are many reasons to choose a term deposit with Police Bank. Whether you're planning a holiday, saving for your first or second property, buying a new car, school expenses, or simply just saving for a rainy day. Police Bank has a range of term deposits starting from periods of six months, so you can choose a term deposit that suits you. This podcast is also proudly brought to you by Charles Sturt University providing education for the New South Wales police force and law enforcement worldwide for over 30 years. Do you want to become a cop or further your policing career? We can help. Visit csu.edu.au forward slash policing to learn more. It was a fascinating time doing telephone intercepts, but then your boss from the highway patrol contacted (laughs) you and he showed you something. What was it? Oh, he, he showed me a, a brand new, um, it was an R1100 BMW motorcycle sitting in the basement of Surrey Hills Police Station. <laughs> and he said, you can have that, Val, if you want to come back. And anyway, I spoke to my, my boss at the telephone interception unit. I'd been there for four and a half years. And, and after a bit of to and froing, I was fortunate enough to be transferred back to um, uh, the highway patrol at Surrey Hills. And uh, I, I was lucky to get a brand new bike. And yeah, which was wonderful. <laughs> Back on the bikes again. <laughs> and and you've had a very good run with safety, no major crashes. You obviously were a pretty good rider. I won't put that down to luck. It's definitely training. If you're trained right, you definitely can avoid accidents and be prepared. Just So that, that's all I can say is, yes, I, I didn't have any accidents. So very, very fortunate on, on the bike. So, yeah, I did have one car on the back of me. That was in a car. That was a long time ago, but <laughs> on a police car. But, uh, but no, as far as um, cars and, and bikes, I've been, um, I was trained right. So, yeah. Yes. And when this was all taking place, when you were getting on the bikes, it was at a time when there were very few women in the force. Less than 10% of New South Wales police were female. How do you look back on your career and I guess the trailblazing role that you played for other women coming through, because obviously now it's a much higher number. I think it's somewhere above 30 40% now. How do you reflect on your career in terms of that struggle we talked about from where women couldn't even wear uniforms, couldn't get on motorbikes, and today they're fully participating members of New South Wales Police Force? 
I don't sort of see myself as a trailblazer. I was just doing what I felt was the natural progression. I guess that's just comes from, as I said, my background being from a family that didn't have those sort of views on things. So I just looked at it. That was just the next progression. But I've had a lot of girls come up or women come up to me and just say, look, I'm so glad that you you did all that because by the time we came through, like it wasn't just the, the bikes or the, the rescue squad or police divers. Look, I know a lot of good friends and girls that have, have, have done all that. It's just the, the systems that get put in place afterwards. Like you're even going down a line where we didn't have toilets or lockers and like I'm talking, and that's what it was back in them that, that day. So it's hard to say trailblazer. It was just a time where things were just transitioning to a, um, I suppose it is equal, but you had to be more than equal back in those days to, to, to do those roles. So Val, one of the really fun and interesting parts of your job was the dignitary escort. You met most of the high flyers <laughs> from the Pope to Princess Di during your time. How did that happen? Oh, yes. So part of the roles at North Sydney High Patrol, after I was trained up as a uh, police cyclist, you actually get trained as a VIP uh, cyclist. So I undertook that training as well, which meant that I was on the uh, escorts for dignitaries when they would come to Australia. They could be anything from security or it could be obviously like the big dignitaries, such as, as, as you mentioned, the Pope and Princess Di. So how it came about is more obviously that they need um, security escorts and also to get through the crowds. But with the most dignitaries, they're very generous in regards to their escorts and their staff around them. So at the end of a, an escort, they would meet the, the, the staff who helped them and the, the security staff, the police staff. So, so yeah, I, I was, um, I've had, um, I've been introduced to, to the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, when she was here, like, which was amazing, you know, um, Charles and, and, and Diana when, you know, she was here, absolutely Diana. She was here, I think it was around 1983. And I can remember she is or was the most beautiful and generous woman in those dignitaries I'd ever met. Like seeing her, her walk and, and talk to people in the crowd, like she, we actually had a section um, covered off for her and she actually walked past the security detail and kept walking up to meet people who had missed out, always running over time. It was just like it opened my eyes up to just how how generous some of these these dignitaries and hardworking they are, um, and that also goes like we like the Pope. I've got to tell you the story about the Pope. I'm a I'm a Presbyterian. I'm not religious. All right. And when Pope John Paul was here, he had to go to two locations. I think it was um, around again around 1983. He went to at the Transfields and also he went to Randwick, and he had um, two two Pope mobiles that he was transported in for security. Anyway, on this one escort, I was on the Transfields component out at uh, near Blacktown. Anyway, his mobile, the step wouldn't work. So you could imagine this van and it's like this, which got a glassed-in case, and this step would come out and it wouldn't work. It just We just couldn't get it to work. Anyway, so we, we said to the, the staff when they arrived, the Pope, that the step doesn't work. He's going to have to somehow get up into this mobile without the step. Anyway, sure enough, the Pope arrives, the door opens of the Pope mobile and the step goes down. And we just went, of course, of course it went down. It's the Pope. It's going to work. Anyway, the second thing that happened with him is out at Randwick. So it was a huge event and I'd imagine a lot of people would have gone to that event. It was pouring with rain, 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 rain. And we're going, oh, this is atrocious. All these poor people seeing the Pope. Anyway, the Pope arrives and, of course, what happens? It stops raining, sun comes out and then when he, he does his... Um, 
communion, I'm not sure what they call it, sorry, <laughs> that he gets back in his Pope mobile, it rains again, you know. So I, I tell you what, he definitely has someone looking over his shoulder and, and also he um, he actually did give us at the end some lovely rosary beads and I actually did hand those rosary, rosary beads over to, it was actually a stranger I gave them to who had a husband with a health problem, so I gave my rosary beads to those, but it was just one of those incredible things uh, in an escort that you're seeing it firsthand, you, you know, unless you're there, you, you don't believe it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so. You must have some of the best stories to tell your children about your service, from breaking into the motorcycle ranks to meeting the Pope, meeting Princess Di. And, you know, you've deliberately stayed away from the negatives. There's a lot of th- negatives in what you deal with in road policing, but you've managed to focus on the positives. And you build a tremendous career. Has that been a deliberate thing? Oh, I just think it's my nature. I think everyone has different personalities. Um, and that just to me, what you see is what you get. So I, I try and focus on the positive. Yeah, look, obviously negatives happen. I try and compartmentise them. Um, I deal with them at the time efficiently, hopefully, and then I just try and pack them away uh, until, you know, you know, I don't have to talk about them again, hopefully. You know, but it's just um, policing life. It's, it's not, it is, is hard work. It is um, a hard slog at times, you know, and... There's times to, to, to reflect on those moments and uh, you, you don't ever forget them and, and it does change your personality. Um, but I just try to reflect now on the good times and the incredible times and, and, and the really lovely people that I worked with. You certainly demonstrated that. And as I say, you spent most of your career on the back of a motorbike. You still riding today? I do, but not as much as I'd like to. Yeah, I've still, I actually bought an old BMW K100 police bike. It's a 1985 model. So I still have that. It's got historic plates. I don't ride that much at all now. I do have a small, just a 650, um, an F650 uh, BMW, which is just a little pot around bike. I did break break my arm, unrelated to a motorbike accident uh, during COVID, and I just realised how, how frail I, I am. So I just sort of, um, I'm over 60 now. I just sort of pot around, and, and I call it my coffee bike now. So <laughs> I don't do the big rides anymore. But, yeah, I, I love getting the, the, the wind in your face, all of that happening. It, it's it's just, just wonderful, you know. Fantastic. Well, you're an inspiration to us all. Thanks for your time today, Val Sugden, the very first female motorcyclist in New South Wales Police. Thank you for your service to the people of New South Wales. Okay, thank you so much. And, th- and thanks for um, letting me have a bit of a chat too and getting it out there. So it's, it's been, been fun. Thank you. I'm amazed no one's told your story before in such detail. I'm, I'm honoured to do so. So thanks, thank you once again. That was retired Highway Patrol motorcyclist Val Sugden. What a pleasure it was to meet her. Next time on Inside the New South Wales Police Force, we go from the highways to the wide open skies with the New South Wales Police Air Wing. When we return, thanks for listening. Inside the New South Wales Police Force is a Real Crime Australia production in association with the New South Wales Police Force. The host producer is Adam Shand. Editing and imaging by Matt Dwyer. For New South Wales Police, Christian Schweitzer, Sergeant Emma Key, Senior Constable Ashley Bold and Anthony Bray and the New South Wales Police Force Band. To find out more about any of our products discussed on today's episode, search Police Bank. Alternatively, speak to one of the Police Bank team on 131 728. This podcast is also proudly brought to you by Charles Sturt University, providing education for the New South Wales Police Force and law enforcement worldwide for over 30 years. Do you want to become a cop or further your policing career? We can help. 
visit csu.edu.au forward slash policing to learn more.